And it's always awesome to get to worship together, to be together, to, to just shout, worthy is the Lamb, the one who is worthy of all praise, honor, and glory. We get to do that together, and I'm glad that we get to do that. But there's a couple of other weekends coming up I want to make sure that you know about where we also get to do this together. And one is for Good Friday services 1210 and 610. If you have a lunch that you're able to come at 1210 for 50 minutes and just be a part of our Good Friday service, come do that. If not, if you can't get away for lunch, then come at 610 to be with us that day. And then, of course, our Easter services, letting you know our normal times on Easter. The only change is that we're adding a Saturday evening service here in Norwalk. So if you're able to, uh, come to that Saturday evening, please do, because we know we get lots of guests and lots of people that come on Easter, and often the room is overly full, and so if you can come on Saturday, I would encourage you to do that. But I am grateful today we get to be together as we continue in our message series called Gentle and Lowly that, that comes from the book we've been reading by Dane Ortland, and, and as we've done... I. I wonder this question, have you heard anyone say, or perhaps you've said it, this phrase, well, the Lord just works or moves in mysterious ways. Have you heard that before? Well, even though the Lord may work in mysterious ways, you and I don't have to, so if you'd use your turn signal going through Norwalk, that would be greatly appreciated. But seriously, those people aren't wrong when they say that God does think and he operates differently than we do. He operates in ways we don't understand. He operates in ways we can't understand. Maybe we don't even want to understand. But I also recognize if you're here today and maybe you are, are man, you're on the, on the verge of just walking away from your faith, or you have walked away from your faith and you're not sure what to make of this anymore, then that news probably doesn't bring you much comfort. Probably because you and I like to think that we know what's best for our own lives. Our kids prove this to us every single day. Imagine with me for a moment that you let your kids make 100% of their own decisions for an entire month not even a month, a week, would that be good for them or bad for them? Now, if you're a kid in the room, you're thinking this would be great for us. As parents, though, we know this wouldn't be good for them because we have wisdom, I hope. We have a perspective. We have experiences that tell us otherwise. We know different than what they do. So let me ask you this question this morning as we begin. Do you think you know what's best for your own life. Maybe in your circle of family and friends you do. So let me rephrase the question. Do you think you know better than God what's best for your life? Well, I doubt you would say yes, at least out loud. But I wonder if every day, a thousand ways in our hearts, we do say yes by our actions, by our attitudes, by our thoughts. We continue to say yes. And from the beginning of Jesus' ministry all the way till this point in time right now, you and I and all of Jesus' disciples have continued to struggle with this idea that our ways are better than God's ways. 
But what the disciples quickly learned, and what I hope that you and I learn today and walk out of here with, is this thought, that God's thoughts and ways are always best. God's thoughts and ways are always best. Now, I know that's a bold statement, because if we're honest, and let's, let's just be honest, there are, there are things in our lives every single day that lead us to think maybe God's ways aren't best. Let me just give you a couple examples. Maybe you've lost a loved one recently. It was too soon and it was tragic and it doesn't make sense. And how could that possibly be for the best? Or, or, or your work has treated you unfairly, but you've done nothing but work hard to earn their respect. It doesn't make sense. How could that possibly be for the best, or you have this child that you have loved and cared for and given the world to, and yet their behavior has led you down this path of defeat and heartbreak. It doesn't make sense. How could that possibly be for the best? I could go on and on and on with these, with these examples. But you see, all of us, each and every one of us, every single day, go through situations in life that cause us to question if God's ways are really Best. In fact, I'll take it a step further to say we question if we can even trust God's ways. Can they be trusted? Well, I thank the Lord that we have his word to look at. So I'm going to invite you, if you have your Bibles, to open them up or your, your Bible apps on your phone. Open them up to the book of Isaiah. That is about the middle of your Bible. If you drop your Bible open to the middle, turn to the right a couple pages, you'll hit Isaiah. Isaiah 55. We're going to be in verses 1 through 9 this morning. We're going to start backwards. So we're going to start in verse 8 and 9 and look at this together to see what God says about his thoughts and his ways today. This is what he says. My thoughts are nothing like your thoughts, says the Lord. My ways are far beyond anything you can imagine. For just as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. Now in this passage, we see who God is, and we see really three reasons why God's thoughts and ways are always best. You may have noticed right from the beginning, he says this phrase, my thoughts are nothing like your thoughts. And, and, and when we look at this, this word here, thought, it doesn't just refer to what God is thinking. It, rever, it refers to his intentions, his plans, both for the world, but more specifically for you and I as individual. That is God's sovereignty over all. Sovereignty, a fancy word that just means his power, his authority Overall, the, the, the reality is that God has a different perspective on this world and on our lives than what we have. And yet I get asked this question a lot, the question of why does bad stuff happen to good people? And I have answers to that that make sense logically, but probably don't, don't, don't make the pain of suffering go away. But I bring that up because I say this. You and I, as believers and followers of Jesus Christ, are tempted oftentimes to believe this mistruth. 
We believe that somehow, some way, as followers of Jesus, as children of God, we, are, we should be exempt from problems. That because I am a child of God, I should somehow be in this bubble of protection and nothing bad would ever happen to me. I would face no struggles, no heartbreak, no pain. That's what would make me comfortable. And we believe into this. The problem is, is the Bible teaches differently because the Bible tells us clearly that in this world you will have struggles. We know this. In fact, I would go as far as to say this could even be God's plan for your life. Ooh. But that means this. That means if you are God's child, you must never, ever allow yourself to think that when you go through a hard thing in life, that it's somehow a failure of God's. That it's somehow a failure of his character, a failure of his power, of his, of his promises. That somehow he dropped the ball and he messed up the plan. We, we can't allow ourselves to think this. And I know that's hard to hear. It's even harder when you're in the middle of a struggle right now. Because sometimes you and I, we see bad things in life. And what the Lord sees is something that he is going to use for our good let me give you an example of what this looks like. So, from a parent's perspective. So, many years ago, my oldest daughter, Macy, had to have a medical procedure done. She didn't want to. She was little, and it was going to be painful. It was, a, it, it was something that was uncomfortable and painful, and she was scared to death. And, and I remember taking her to the hospital and sitting in this room with her, waiting for the doctor. And she was petrified. And I remember these tears in her eyes as she looked at me to say, Dad, do something. Take this away. Make it stop. Help me. But I knew as her father what was best for her. I knew what was good for her. And I did help her, but I didn't take it away because I knew that she needed to go through this because it was for her good. It had a perspective she didn't. God's thoughts are not our thoughts. And when we begin to understand that and when we begin to trust that, then we can look at what he says next. He says, my thoughts are not your thoughts, but he also says, my ways are far beyond your Ways Not only are his thoughts and intentions and plans nothing like ours, but his ways are beyond anything that we can imagine. This word ways in this verse, it, it, it means his conduct. It, it means how he does things, his course of action. It, it reveals his character to us. And why is this important? It's because throughout Scripture we see over and over and over again the greatness of God's character revealed to us. His compassion, His mercy, His forgiveness, His love, His grace, all of those things. And when we put God in this human-sized box of ours that we like to tuck Him into, we limit our understanding of His greatness, of His grace, mercy, love and forgiveness. I wonder, can we fully, 
as people fully ever understand the greatness of his love? I don't think so. Can we experience it? Yes, without a doubt. In fact, that's what Paul prays as he prays to the, uh, uh, in his letter to the Ephesians. He writes in chapter 3 these words. He says, May you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how long, how high, how wide, and how deep his love is. And then he says, May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. This is God's character. His thoughts and his ways are not like ours, and that is a good thing because your ways and thoughts and my ways and thoughts are broken, are limited, and they're sinful. God's thoughts and ways are limitless. They're perfect, and they're for our good. This should inspire praise in your heart this morning. And then he goes on, one more thing to say this in verse 8 and 9. Not only are my thoughts and my ways nothing like yours, but they're way higher than yours, he says. His thoughts of love and compassion are more magnificent, are more splendid, are more glorious than you and I and our finite beings could ever truly comprehend. In fact, as we read our book this week, Dane Ortland says these words. He said, God's ways and thoughts are not our ways and thoughts, and that... His thoughts of love and ways of compassion are stretched to the degree beyond our mental horizon. This is a hard pill to swallow because many of us think that our thoughts and our ways are the best and better than everyone else's, sometimes better than God's himself. But I can stand here today and boldly declare to you that God's thoughts and ways are higher than our ways The question is, are you okay with that? Maybe. Maybe we're okay with it sometimes. So let me tell you something that's encouraging. Here's the beauty of our God. You would think that if our God's thoughts and ways are so much higher than ours and He is so much above us, We would think that a God like that would be some far-off, distant, cold, careless God who wouldn't give a rip about little people like you and me sitting here on this earth. But that is not our God. That's not who he is. In fact, Isaiah chapter 57, just a couple chapters later, goes on to say this. He says, for this says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. He says this, I dwell in the high and holy place, and also with him who is of a contrite and lowly spirit, to revive the spirit of the lowly, to revive the heart of the contrite. He's saying, no, no, I'm not in this far off place. I'm with you. In fact, we see this over and over throughout Scripture. Psalm 34, 18 says, The Lord is close to the brokenhearted. He rescues those whose spirits are are crushed, even though God is high and lifted up above all else and his ways and thoughts are higher than ours, he doesn't stay there. He comes here with us, Emmanuel, God with us, and not only comes to us, but then he invites us in. He invites us into his thoughts. He invites us into his ways because his are the best. We just have to be careful not to let 
our, our own minds put a ceiling or a cap on God's love for us. In fact, I know we struggle with this, and this is hard to understand, so I, I love this statement made by John Calvin. He, he says this, that God is infinitely compassionate and infinitely ready to forgive, so that it ought to be ascribed exclusively to our unbelief if we do not obtain pardon from him. What he's saying here is that it's our wrong view of God, or maybe our unbelief in God, or maybe our mistrust in God and who he is that makes us think we are unforgiven or unforgivable. That is not the God that I see in the Bible, and that is not the God that I've experienced in my life. He's full of grace and love and forgiveness. So what do we do? What do we do with this? Well, as we go back to Isaiah 55 and we start at verse 1 of that chapter, I see three things, three ways God invites us in. So I want to I highlight these this morning. The first one is this. He invites us to come to him without price. Look at what verse 1 and 2 of Isaiah 55 says. Is anyone thirsty? Come and drink. Even if you have no money, come and take your choice of wine or milk. It's all free. Why spend your money on food that does not give you strength? Why pay for food that does you no good? This is man's way. Man says we have to purchase what brings us temporary satisfaction. It's what we call transactional logic. It's a logic that says you have something that I want. You have a good, you have a service, and I want it, so I'm going to work for that good or service so that I could pay you for that good or service, and then you give it to me. That's transactional logic. And many of us look at God wrongly in this way. Because we look at God and say, okay, God, you have this thing that I want. You have eternity. You have heaven. You have love. You have forgiveness. You have all these things, and I want them. So what am I going to do? I'm going to work for them, and I'm going to earn them, and I'm going to pay you for them so that you'll give them to me. Transactional logic. It's not the type of logic that's spoken here of in Isaiah because that logic, that temporary logic, only satisfies temporarily, not long term. Then it puts you down a path that is tiresome, it is never-ending, and it's sure an unsure way to live. That's not how God operates. He says, look, I'll give you eternal satisfaction, and I give it to you for free. It, no charge. In fact, we see this in, in Romans 6.23. It says, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. You and I don't want paid for what we deserve. Because if you and I got paid for our work, we would deserve death. But no, the, the, God invites us to come to him for free. To experience soul satisfaction in him alone because that's what his thoughts and his ways lead to. So secondly, first he invites us to come. Secondly, he does this. He invites us to listen to him. We see this in the next verses where he says, listen to me and you will eat what is good. You will enjoy the finest food. Come to me with your ears wide open. Listen and you will find life. I'm struck by a statement in this verse. That statement, listen to me. How many times have I said this to my children? Listen to me. Because 
because so often our ears are being fought for by so many voices. Voice after voice after voice bombards our ears for their attention. And we have to be careful as Christ followers and diligent in what voices we're going to listen to. Because man's voice that doesn't honor God leads to rotten fruit. Rotten fruit leads us to things that are not life-giving, they're life-threatening. But God's voice, when we listen to God's voice, it says it leads to good fruit. In fact, Isaiah here says it leads to the finest food. When we eat what's good, it's life-giving. And he invites us in to listen to his voice and his thoughts and his ways because they're the best. So he says, come to me, it's free, and listen to me. And then lastly, he says this, and seek and call on me. Look at these last couple of verses this morning. Seek the Lord while you can find him. Call on him now while he is near. Let the wicked change their ways and banish the very thought of doing wrong. Then let them turn to the Lord that he may have mercy on them. Yes, turn to God and he will forgive generously. The fact is that man wants to seek their own way and act on their own thoughts because of our own glory. But how often, if we're being truthful, is it our thoughts and our ways that lead us down paths of hurt and destruction? But when we turn from our thoughts and our ways and we seek God and call on Him, these verses to seek leads us to mercy and forgiveness of mercy and forgiveness. And He invites us to seek and call on Him because His ways of mercy and forgiveness are readily available and they are free for all who turn to Him. Incredible news today. God's thoughts and ways are not like our thoughts and ways because they are far beyond our thoughts and ways, which is a good thing because none of us are equipped to handle this life. We're not without Him. God invites us in to find the soul satisfaction in any circumstance. So let me end with just asking you a couple of questions. Question one, if it's true that God invites us to come to him to find soul satisfaction in any circumstance, and here's my question to you, what circumstance are you going through right now where you need to turn to him? Let me put it a different way. That's too complicated. Let me sum up. When things go bad, where do you turn? Distractions? Uh, I mean, self-medication? Regular medication? Alcohol? Relationships? Shopping? Food? Peanut butter M&Ms? Just saying. I don't know. Where do you turn? There's a million different places we can turn for soul satisfaction, but I tell you they're all transactional, which means they're temporary. But God calls us to come to him because he's the only one through his Holy Spirit that can truly bring us peace and comfort. And that's what we, that's what we learned last week. So he invites us to come to him. But then he, if he truly invites us to listen to him, then my question to you is this. What area of your life do you need to listen to God so that you can eat good food and experience life? What do you need to listen to? That's too complicated. Let me sum up. 
where do you get your information? Where do you get your direction in life? Where do you get your orders in life from? How often do you invite God into the decisions of your life? Do you pray before big decisions? Yeah, usually they're big decisions. Do you pray before little everyday decisions? Probably not as much. Because let me just be honest with you, because what else can we do? I'll I'll just tell you. My way is usually I exhaust my resources first. I've tried everything. I've gone this way. I've gone that way. I've tried to get help. I've done everything I can think to do, and nothing has worked. So I guess I should pray. Why, Why do we do that? Why do we do that when we have a God who not only has thoughts and ways that are so much higher than ours, he loves us more than we could ever imagine, he's full of wisdom, he created us, he knows things better than we could ever know anything, and he wants good for us, why do we not invite him in to those decisions every single day in all parts of our life? Is it because we're afraid of the answer or because we think we know best? So I challenge and encourage you today. Make a point to bring God into the equation every single day. If you ever wondered if being at church or being in a a circle environment, a a small group or chair time was important, yes, because that is where you're going to hear the voice of God. One last question. If these things are true, that he asks us to come and he asks us to listen, He also asked us to seek him. Well, then my last question is, what part of your life do you need to give up so you can experience God's mercy and forgiveness? That's too complicated. Let me sum up. What area, is there anything in your life right now that's keeping you from God? I didn't say keeping God from you. I said keeping you from God. And this isn't necessarily a sin. It could be a good thing, just not good for you right now. Is it, a, is it a hobby that's keeping you from God? Is it a relationship that's keeping you from God? Is it, is it a time waster? Is it, what, what is it in your life that's pulling you away and keeping you from God? Sometimes you and I have to let go of something good in order to pick up something that is amazing. Sometimes, what is in your life that's causing you to push God just out of arm's reach and keeping him over here? What is that? Here's the deal. You and I can trust God's thoughts and his ways in our lives because his thoughts and his ways are higher. And thank goodness they are, because why would you want to trust a God whose thoughts and ways were just like mine? Not worth it. But his ways are so much higher. And not only are they higher, but then he invites us in. He invites us so that we don't have to live life with a human point of view. He invites us in so that we can begin to understand and trust that his thoughts and ways are always best. So I ask you, Do you believe this? Do you believe me? Because if if you believe this, it should change the way you live. God's ways and thoughts are always best. Let me have you stand, and I want to close with a benediction. 
This is not the Matthew benediction we've been closing with. Instead, I want to use these scriptures from Romans today. Romans chapter 8. Can anything ever separate us from God's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? No, despite all these things. Overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. And I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from the love of God, neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, nor our fears for today, nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate you from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that is revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. Hope you guys have a great afternoon, and we will see you next week.